because most of you, I assume, are quite new, new to Buddhism, um, I maybe have to explain a few things a little bit more, but I just came back from Thailand recently, and um, for the people who know our type of robes, the brown robes that are rolled in this way and worn in this way, they come from the Thai forest tradition. And uh, the teacher of our teacher, uh, Ajahn Brahm, is the teacher at uh, Bodhinyana Monastery that you've heard in Serpentine. And he has uh, ordained us and taught us. And his teacher was Ajahn Chah, a very famous teacher in Thailand, who um, died 32 years ago, I think it was. And for me, this was the first time to actually go and visit um, monasteries in Thailand and to be exposed to the forest Thai um, uh, tradition. And Ajahn Brahm, um, for you who are familiar with him, he tells a lot of stories. And a lot of those stories have to do with his teacher, Ajahn Chah, and they also have to do with nature and what happens in the monastery. And, you know, I would listen to those stories, and as when you are reading a book, you kind of imagine how it must be. But we read a book... And everyone reads the book in a different way because we're conditioned. We kind of have memories from our past. And that is often the problem when you see a movie. There's a really good book and then the movie comes out and you're really disappointed <laughs> because you kind of imagined the movie in a certain way. And then the director puts his point of view on it and it doesn't really fit. So it was still my point of view, of course, but I had the experience of being in a place and that Ajahn Brahm has been before, and just kind of because I saw the jungle, and I saw I saw one snake. <laughs> it's the cold season over there now. I mean, we see snakes here as well. We just had one visiting the tiny little Jugai at the, our monastery recently because it was so hot, it was actually coming to um, uh, get some shade at our house <laughs> because that was on the 45-degree day. Anyway, so that was really special to me to um, to be there. And one of the absolute, I mean, you know, there were many, many, many highlights, but um, Ajahn Chah, as I said, was a very famous teacher, and um, we went to the monastery where he lived and where he taught, and they built a big monument for him there, um, where he got cremated, and um, they have a mem um, memorial service every year on the 16th of January, and because we happened to be there at that time, we actually went along to that memorial um, uh, day. And from the numbers, you could actually see what a big occasion that is. So now you're seeing two monks here, which is already a lot for this group. In our little temple, we have uh, four at the moment. And in Bodhinyana, if I'm correct, there were about 28 for the rain, so maybe roughly still around that number. But on that memorial day, I was told there were 2,000 monks, or over 2,000 monks, and about 4,500 lay people, all gathered together in this fairly small piece of land, and a lot of them were actually putting up their tents and spending the night there and, you know, cooking and giving food to the monastics or sharing food with each other. And it kind of reminded me of how it must be like an open air or something like that, music festival. But the energy was just so different. It was so quiet. They were so respectful. Um, you, you hardly knew that so many people are actually in that place. 
And we did practice and meditate the whole night, which was very special as well. There were many, many um, senior monks that were giving uh, talks, like I give a talk now. And that was kind of on a screen. It was all in Thai, so I couldn't really understand it. But, you know, the, the people were um, listening there, and that was, that was very nice. And one other thing is I was able to meet the person who is the abbot of that monastery. So I don't know if any one of you has heard of Ajahn Liam before. Um, he's uh, like... Yeah, the lineage holder in, in that sense. So Ajahn Chah, the teacher of my teacher, asked him to take over the monastery. And he ordained when he was 20. Uh, or actually, he ordained as a novice earlier. But when you are 20, you can become a fully ordained monk. And that's when he became a fully ordained monk. He's 82 years now. And that means he has been in robes for 62 years. So a really, really long time. And people respect him a lot. And he is basically, yeah, I guess in modern terms, he's like the big shot monk. <laughs> he's the one which walks in front and which gets all the respect. And But the interesting thing about Ajahn Liam is that he doesn't um, behave in that way as well. Um, I say this with a lot of respect, but there was this big hoo-ha, this huge ceremony with so many people, and he is like the focus or he's like the rock star, if you want, of that whole event. And it almost looked like um, um, he wasn't so interested in the whole thing, <laughs> or he was just kind of blending into the background. And that is one of those beautiful qualities um, that we try to develop, to understand, and to use in our practice in Buddhism, to learn to let go. But... Buddhism often talks about letting go, and then, of course, people always ask, how do you do it? How does letting go happen? And one of those um, reasons why letting go can happen is when we actually understand this very deep um, concept that someone asked me about recently, and I thought I'll try to talk about it, which is called emptiness, which is called non-self. Now, you know, you will go like, oh, that's all kind of like Zen, and what does it actually mean? But emptiness, if you think about it, hopefully in a way that is helpful, you ask yourself, what is uh, it empty of? And in Buddhism, we often say it's empty of a self. It's empty of a me, mine, and the self. And if we start to get close to understand that and practice that in daily life, then letting go is actually something which happens quite naturally. So we invest a lot of thinking and a lot of worrying in me, mine, and self. And that might be our thoughts, that might be our body, that might be what has happened to us. And if we attach to that, if we get really interested in that, if we get infatuated by it, then we actually have a lot of trouble. Then we create a lot of friction. But if we somehow get an understanding that these are just processes that are happening, it's things that are coming together and it's things that are breaking apart again. So the Buddha said, there is not nothing because something can be seen which is there, something which is created, something which is arising, but it's not permanent. There is no permanent essence. 
it will cease eventually. So emptiness is actually this dance which comes in between. But probably the best thing, and how the Thai forest tradition teaches, and how our teacher teaches as well, is to teach by stories. And Ajahn Liam, that's why I brought him up, is the perfect example for um, actually showing us what emptiness means in, uh, in practice. So when Ajahn Chah died, and I was already saying, and from you know, this big ceremony, you have an understanding now how important Ajahn Chah was. So the king of Thailand was even there for his cremation. They kept his body for a year, and they prepared everything meticulously. And Ajahn Liam, again, was the main man, so he had the main responsibility. So he thought, um, we will do something special. We will build a building, like a cheti it's called, or a stupa, which is like kind of like a half globe, which has a big kind of uh, like a chimney or a, a spire in the middle. And he said, we will cremate our great teacher in that building. So we don't actually have to take the relics from the funeral pyre and bring it somewhere. So we do it on the spot. The relics are where they need to be. And then we just, you know, decorate the building after everything is done. And um, he is a very amazing builder, apparently, as well. So I was told there were no plans for this building. He had everything in his mind. And when people needed to know what needs to be done, they would ask him and he had all the measurements and he would be on the building site and get it all organized. And the plan was to have this big um, iron box where the coffin goes in and where the body is cremated. And, you know, the smoke goes up the chimney and then um, that's going to be that. So when the king was there and when the ceremony was happening during the day, it, it went all quite all right. <laughs> But when the people have left, Ajahn Brahm tells the story that everything started to go wrong. So the box, which was kind of welded together, the weld started to burst and the flames started to coming out. And, you know, they were afraid that the whole building was going to burn down. So you had the remaining monks running all around the place, getting the hoses out and trying to get the, uh, get the fire out. And now, again, imagine Ajahn Liam. He is the abbot of the place. He has organized all of this. He had the responsibility, as we think of it, on his shoulders. And then Ajahn Brahm said he was so impressed. Ajahn Liam took one look, <laughs> turned around, <laughs> went to his hut, and went to sleep. <laughs> so he says, this is the perfect example of showing you that he had an understanding of he's done whatever he could. He put in his most effort, but things are actually out of control. We have a bit of influence, but we don't have that much influence. But he wasn't attached to, oh, now all this went wrong, and you know it's all my responsibility, and it's heavy on my shoulders. If that would be us we would be tossing and turning in the bed and not being able to sleep whatsoever. And he just went back and Ajahn Brahm says, uh, crashed out and had a really nice sleep and let, let the other monks take care of, of the whole, um, whole drama. They managed to get the flames, um, flames extinguished and, and the building is still there and it all kind of worked out in the end, but um, it could have been a disaster. So that's one kind of story that I heard from Ajahn Brahm and that I, of course, remembered when I went there. But I also have my own story now. 
So we were um, going to a talk. Uh, he was giving a talk for us. And again, it's like an audience you have with the Pope or something like that. It's very important. It's a big building and lots of monks. And he's sitting in front and gives the talk in Thai. And then it's translated into English. And then we had a bit of a look around in the monastery um, and stayed for, for a bit longer. And then we were heading outside of the monastery grounds. And I was just passing. There were so many, you know, lay people and monastics around. And I was passing. In Thailand, they have this kind of um, straw mats they put on the floor. And there was like a straw mat and two, two lay people sitting on that straw mat. And one monk sitting on one of those kind of plastic chairs. But just like the body language of the person. We, 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 uh, we wear just a very simple kind of uh, cloth underneath our robe. So the monk wasn't wearing the official robe. He was just like casual, as we would say, as we walk around in the monastery, especially when it's hot. It's really helpful. Today it was really good. I don't have to wear this all the time. Anyway, so this person is sitting there and he just kind of looks like a villager. That's kind of the, the, the way he looked to me. But um, I don't know what it was, but somehow I just felt, oh, this person looks fairly old. And this person probably must be more senior than I am. So I wanted to show some respect. And what we do in Buddhism to show respect is kind of we put our palms in front of our heart and kind of just do Anjali, it's called. So I, I did that and walk past. And I was walking past with my traveling group. And the traveling group just looked because they saw me paying respect. And they go like, this is Ajahn Liam, this is Ajahn Liam. <laughs> so they all went up to the ground and kind of started bowing to him. And he, he was just, he was, I wasn't phased with it whatsoever. <laughs> he was just so, so relaxed and so happy to just have a casual chat with the people there. So he could, you know, switch that role. Or actually, I must say, he never really fits the role. <laughs> but as he was sitting there, he was actually a very simple farmer before he became a monk. And that really kind of shone through. So when you now see celebrities or very important people, you know, you have this big entourage around them and expensive cars and I don't know what. And it was just this simple monk sitting there. Again, being able to completely let go. So that's the second story I have. And I have one last story that I haven't actually experienced myself. But I was traveling with Bhante Vishuddhananda a monk from Sri Lanka, who is actually the teacher of the Swiss meditation group who's invited me to go along. And he said he was also in Wat uh, Nong Papong, that's the monastery of Ajahn Chah, um, with Ajahn Liam a couple of years ago. And it was like one of those days where there was a lot of building going on. And the monks, when they can, they actually get their hands dirty and they help with the, you know, mixing the concrete and doing the work. So it was quite a busy working day. So we have our main meal of the day at, you know, before noon, before 12 o'clock. And then afterwards, we usually go back to our huts and have a bit of a rest or we go and meditate, do walking meditation and sitting meditation. But um, uh, Ajahn Vishuddhananda said he was just walking past, I think, the office building, he said it was. And again, there was a chair um, there and he saw Ajahn Liam just having a sleep on that chair. But he was just describing it so lovingly, you know, just like in a kind of position like a cat would curl up or like just very comfortable and very relaxed. And he just got this, this feeling again of how free this person must feel, how 
comfortable, how trusting he must be. And again, completely no um, kind of image or I'm an important person. It's just this simple monk who is tired from work in the morning, having, having a nice nap. And that really, really kind of impressed him. So these are hopefully a few stories to give you a bit of an inkling or give you a bit of an idea maybe uh, of uh, what we are talking about when we talk about emptiness, when we talk about non-self, when we talk about not attaching to our bodies, to our thoughts, to our responsibilities so, um, so much. And that actually allows us to let go. And letting go is something which is very, very important in meditation. And now, one of the things that people often get wrong is they think they have to do letting go. You have to put in a lot of effort and let go. <laughs> but it's exactly the opposite of letting go, isn't it? So you're actually trying to let go, but you are creating more problems. You're creating more tension. So, again, how... Can we maybe try to understand this? And that's one other lovely way how Ajahn Brahm described this to me. And so you might be familiar with the birds and how they sleep at night. Maybe, maybe not. I vividly remember uh, uh, my primary school teacher training. Um, we had like a little model of a bird and the muscles, and the tendons, and the branch, <laughs> and what happens when they actually go asleep. Because have you ever seen, when there is a windy night, that there was a lot of birds lying around, because they fell out of the trees at night when they were sleeping? Usually not, isn't it? <laughs> so what happens with the birds is... When they relax their muscles and when they relax their legs, what happens naturally is their claws start to close. So when they don't put in effort, they become more stable. They become more settled. They become more firm in their um, attaching. <laughs> they don't try to attach, but attaching happens naturally to that branch. And then when they wake up in the morning, it's actually a bit of effort they have to put in to open their claws and to kind of come out of that position. And that is the same thing with meditation and with Buddhist practice in life. When we allow um, the mind and the body to relax, then we're actually able to let things be, to let things go. But when we do that, we will start to realize that something interesting happens, that it gets more quiet, that it gets more peaceful, that we start to settle, that we start to focus. But again, it's not an effort. We don't try to focus. We don't try to let go. It's something which happens quite naturally. And the focus also happens quite naturally because we are interested in what we are doing. That's one aspect. But one other important aspect is because we start to understand 
and we start to actually feel the pleasantness of letting go, the pleasantness of relaxation. And that is what allows us to settle and to stay with an object in meditation for a longer period of time. So that's a few instructions for you tonight, a few stories, a few instructions. I hope there was a little bit in there for everybody. And if you do have any questions right now, I'd be happy to answer them as well. Something I just said, you know, didn't make sense, or you want to hear a little bit more before we um, meditate together, then please feel free. And if not, then we'll actually try and practice. Not me, not mine, not a self. And see how that goes. It's a little bit like a, like a mantra that we can try to understand, try to feel into. And when relaxation and letting go is the result, then we know we're doing it the right way. If tension and worry and anxiety is the result, then we know we're not doing it the right way. <laughs> anyway, but that's, that's all part of the learning process. Wonderful. Okay, so for meditation, um, if you want to wiggle around a little bit and just kind of find a comfortable position, um, I often like, as you can see, to take my shoes off to just kind of feel grounded if people want to do that, but um, that's up to you. And then uh, if you feel comfortable, please feel free to close your eyes or to just have them half closed and with a gentle gaze. What that does is it helps us to focus inwards rather than outwards, what we usually do. But please know you're always welcome uh, to open your eyes if you feel it's a little bit too much or you need to get a bit of light because you're a bit sleepy. And also all the instructions I'm giving, they're just suggestions. So if you've meditated before, you can just do your own thing. If you want to add a little bit here or there, please do that as well. And another thing which is helpful is to take a few deep breaths. Maybe in through the nose and out through the mouth. And what that does, it's basically a signal for your body to tell it now it's time to relax. Now it's time to rest. Time to recuperate. And then maybe the little bit tricky part in meditation is to find the balance between relaxing but then at the same time staying alert, staying interested, being aware. So 
So we might just be aware of the hum of the aircon in the room. We might feel our skin and the air in this room or our clothes touching our skin. We might feel the connection to the ground through the feet. Or feel how we are sitting in the chair, like where the body meets the chair. And we might also feel our hands. That can be anywhere, by the way. They can be in your lap, or they can be on your thighs, or on your knees. Whatever feels comfortable. Whatever allows your body to be at ease. body is usually the first object that we allow our minds to get familiar with, to linger on, to settle on. But let's see if tonight we can do that with the mantra, not me, not mine, not a self. So we don't give this body more importance than it needs. Especially importance in terms of that we are worried about it, which creates tension. What we do is we just allow it to be there. We're there with the body. We respect the body and we care for the body. But we don't overprotect it like we sometimes might be overprotecting our children or obsessing about a problem. Our body is just a process. Can we flow with it? Can we be friends with it? Can we be at ease? Now, of course, we've done many things with this body of ours during the day or during many days that have come before, so it has a bit of a history. But let's see if we can just let that fade into the background now. Allow the body to just be.
giving it a well-deserved break. And you might already start to feel that the body settles when you're kind. Some of the tensions there might be at their ease, that they melt away. When you're respectful, when you're kind, when you're a friend. Not trying to control, but just hanging out. And I'll now go through a few body parts with you so we can focus on them, allow our mind to just stay there for a little while and be kind. If it's too much of any of these body parts, please feel free to just move to another place, no problem. So let's start with the top of the head. Feel into the top of the head. And allow it to rest. Allow it to be loose. Allow it to relax. And then feel that energy of relaxation moving into the sides of your head, left and right, over your ears, to the back of your head. Trusting your body that it need that it knows what to do when you allow it to just be nothing to do nothing to be no expectations And then we can move to our face, feeling to the forehead, into the eyes, the nose, the cheeks, the mouth, the jaw. See if we can smooth in the face drop any tension that might be there 
especially around the eyes and around the jaw. There is no need to hold on. Like the little bird, we can just sit on the branch and as Ajahn Brahm says, relax to the max. The rest is taken care of. And then we can move into our neck. Maybe you want to sway your head a little bit to the left and the right, to the back and to the front. And just find the position which is just right. Allowing your spine to find the perfect position by itself. Meditation is all about allowing, giving space, being kind. And then you can move into your shoulders. left and right, the joints, the shoulder blades, and allow that part of your body to soften. To relax. And then all we do is we nourish, we encourage, we protect. Like what we do with a plant, we can't force it to grow. But we give it all it needs to grow by itself. And what we grow is relaxation, wakefulness and peace. And then from the shoulder joints, we can move down our arms. Connecting, feeling the skin, the muscles, the bones as good as we can. And then sending them as much acceptance and love as we can muster. Respect. 
be gratitude as well. So we slowly move down. Maybe by now you're around your um, elbows. They're cold. <laughs> Moving across your arms. Softening whatever tension there might be. Cooling any heat. Moving into your wrists and then eventually into your hands. Feeling the palms, the backs, and the fingers from the base all the way to the tips. You might not feel them distinctly, but that's not necessary at all. Sometimes it just feels like an energy field. But we just allow it to soften, to settle, to be at ease. And then we can come back to our torso, spend a bit of time with the chest, the skin, the rib cage, that part of the spine. Here I often like to just imagine space. See if you can be as wide open that there's no crunching, there's no tension. Let that dissolve into the space. And then we can also give a bit of tender, loving care to all the organs that are here, the heart, the lungs, the stomach, the liver. Just being a friend, nourishing them. So if there is any problem you might have here, that the body can heal itself. Trusting, encouraging and supporting, rather than finding fault, worrying and trying to control. Then we can move to our belly, the lower part of the spine, 
the lower part of the back. Softening, smoothening, relaxing. Or actually not doing it, just allowing it to happen. And then the same thing for all the organs which are working so hard for us. Digesting, getting rid of the waste, cleaning our blood. Consciously, kindly, giving them some time, some space, that we so rarely do. We often just want to switch off and go to sleep. But can you stay? Can you be interested, respectful? and kind. And then moving into our hips. Allowing that part of the body to settle. Come smooth and relaxed. Maybe that part is also tight. So instead of pushing and pulling, give it space. Wide open space. for it to relax into, for it to dissolve into. And then starting at the hip joints, making your way down your legs on the right and the left. Being present, feeling into, and being kind. valuing and treasuring any relaxation, any softness, any peace that arises.
and probably slowly getting close to our knees opening up the knees softening and relaxing the knees respecting and valuing the knees and then moving into our calf and all the way down to our ankles the heels and the feet the tops the bottoms all the toes Again, you don't have to exactly feel them. as maybe with your hands before same thing might be happening with your feet they're just kind of like blending into the floor you don't even know where they start and where they end oh, that's not necessary as long as they're peaceful as long as they're relaxed that's great And by relaxing our bodies as much as possible hopefully our minds have settled and relaxed as well but there'll probably still be some movement of the mind some thinking 
some emotions. But when we're calm and when we are relaxed, we can start to understand, we can start to get a grasp also of our mental world in terms of not me, not mine, not a self. Yes, there is energy. There is energy which arises. There is energy which persists. There is energy which ceases. Can we just let it flow without interfering? Can we give it space? So much space, like space. So the earth, which is our home, which is so important and so dear to us, just fades into the background and it becomes this pale blue dot. Beautiful. But in the scheme of things, not really of interest right now. Can we just enjoy space? All the stars and planets buzzing around, moving around in that space, like our thoughts. They have their own trajectories. But they just fly by. We just watch. And we enjoy that we don't have to be involved. That we can just be a visitor. In awe. of the beauty and of the flow. Not having to grasp, not having to control. Stepping back. Watching and feeling how everything settles, how everything becomes more and more still, more and more peaceful. I'll just let you hang out in that space for a couple of minutes now by yourself, soaking up the stillness and the peace.
If you're aware of the movement of your breath in the background, you can also just hang out with that movement, like the movement of all the planets and stars that stand for your thoughts and emotions. Just see them wash in and wash out for your breath like a wave would. Just sitting there. Enjoying the process. Enjoying that you don't have to be involved whatsoever. And then we can just drop in the question, how relaxed, how much at ease and peaceful is our body now, is our mind now, after having meditated, after allowing, letting go to happen, to manifest. Realizing the difference meditation makes and learning how it can be encouraged, how it can be grown, how we can let it happen. And then please take your time 
like the bird has to take time to slowly move its limbs again to kind of open up the claws and the grip of the branch find your way back into your body getting in touch with your body hearing the sounds feeling the air and I'll be ringing the meditation bell three times for you to slowly come out of meditation if you can just listen to it with closed eyes and then once the sound of the singing bowl disappears you can slowly gently open your eyes hope that you could temporarily kind of forget your body forget your problems your worries let them go if I can actually still hear the singing ball <laughs> but I'm sitting very close nice how was that Okay. It's always a bit hard to get started again. And that's the time when we are supposed to ask questions. <laughs> so you don't have to. And actually, it's pretty much time. But uh, if anyone would like to share something or ask something in the group, I'm very happy to open up for it now. The world is calling. <laughs> I hope you were able to let it go during the meditation. Like Ajahn Liam. <laughs> Just let go back into meditation. Like he could let go into sleep. <laughs> I'm sure there was a bit of movement back and forth. That's just what happens. But that's how we learn. We see how the mind grasps onto something. And how we can kind of loosen that grip and allow relaxation and peace and ease to arise in its place. Okay, I guess. So thanks a lot for coming along. Please carry this energy with you. It's something I have encouraged you, nourished like a plant again, but it's something which grows within your own heart.
It's yours. It's not mine. But if you take care of it, if you remember it, if you nourish it, then it will grow more, then it will blossom, then it will thrive. Okay. Thanks a lot. Have a nice evening.